Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. Welcome to the new episode of Zach on Film. This week we're not actually going to talk a movie. We're going to talk the technology behind making a movie's... And what I have bought right and what I have bought wrong this week on Zach on Film. Hey, Zach. Welcome. Hey, Steven. I'm here. Glad to have you here. Rodrigo's here. Yep. Matthew's here. Yeah, well, I'm here. thought we'd take a break from movies and uh, talk a little bit about equipment and technology mm-hmm. and how technology has changed over time and how that's affected <laughs> uh, film production over time. Right. Right? Uh, because the technology... Changed. Has uh, has really been able to drive a lot of the things and a lot of techniques that we see in movies. For example, the Steadicam, mm. right? Um, before, if you want to move a camera, what are the ways that you can move a camera? Pick it up, move it. You move it. Okay. Or you can put do it, what? Uh, you can put dolly it, on, put it. on a trailer. You can do a dolly, of course. You can yeah. put it on a truck yeah. mm-hmm. if you want to do something like that. But you if you want to move it up, jib. you can put it on a jib. But if you wanted to move it up a flight of stairs, good luck. Because you're not going to lay a track and have guys push at a 45-degree angle a 500-pound dolly up a flight of stairs. So they, they came like up with this great concept stages. of there you go. what would happen if we strapped a third arm onto you. What if you had a third arm and you were carrying that camera? Your body naturally counteracts things. People can see this all the time. Carry a cup of coffee up and down the stairs, and you'll notice that you don't spill the coffee. Mm-hmm. Or hopefully you don't spill the coffee because your arm is I counteracting your up-and-down movement. Well, that's what happened with the Steadicam. Uh, and, of course, the Steadicam straps onto your body and the camera's hanging out there. It's all counterbalanced and smooth so that when Rocky runs up to the top of the steps and is doing his victory uh, dance up there, you can follow him all the way up and spin around and, and get some a really great dr- dramatic change in, um, in, in the way you tell your story. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess as we kind of go into this, keep in mind that you're still using techniques and you're still using these things. To tell your story, not to show off your your stuff. But, right. you know, steady cams, people are like, I want to own a steady cam. I want to do these kinds of things. It's really hard to afford because they're very yeah, expensive. They're very expensive. So then people come up and say, well, what happens if you get a hold, get rid of the the vest and you just use your own arm as that gimbal and you just basically have a tripod on a, on a stick and you do the same thing and it works, mm-hmm. right? So we have these um, speed pods and we have the uh, um, the, the Merlin yeah uh, cams and those work pretty good but they tire your arm out pretty quick yeah. and they're still kind of shaky if you don't have everything balanced out right? although i should say that from what i understand wearing the steady cam rig is oh pretty yeah it's, it's pretty, it's oh, pretty yeah. killer oh, yeah. on your on your back that's for sure um and they're dangerous as hell too mm. uh the first time somebody went into a pool they realized hey if you tip over you've got all this weight on you you're not coming out so they actually had to go back and redesign the steady cam to basically have a a parachute a release, release. Mm-hmm. so that if you did stumble and fall, you just have to pull that and the whole thing just falls apart. Nice. And uh, you can escape uh, safely. Or if a bear's chasing you, I suppose. <laughs> Although that would be <laughs> cool. would be a great shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but now, you know, we have just uh, shown off recently is the Movi. Have you seen this? You know what a gimbal, what I mean, uh, what a gimbal yeah. system is? Yeah. Uh, basically, no. um, they've adapted quadcopter technology and and gimbal technology for helicopters that basically as you you want to you want to just take a little bit of time and talk about what a gimbal is sure a gimbal is i don't know oh so a gimbal is anything that uh, counteracts a movement right so if if i tilt uh right the gimbal is going to automatically correct and tilt left Mm -hmm. so that it maintains a level horizon throughout and you've got multi-axis gimbals you can have horizontal gimbals vertical gimbals um uh, Z axis gimbals, Brian Gim- gimbals, yes. <laughs> um, and so these are Guy really great because it creates a super stable shot. I mean, you can move this thing all over the place, and providing that you're not going beyond the extremes edge of of the uh, gyros, the, the gyros, um, this thing's going to pl- be perfectly steady. Uh, well, people have been putting on these on helicopters, and now that quadcopters have become very advanced. Um, they're starting to make these mini gimbal units that you can put on the bottom of little quadcopters like the, the DJI, DJI Phantom that I, that I recently purchased. Mm-hmm. And you can get some amazing aerial shots. Well, somebody said, what if we took that gimbal technology and we put it onto a bar with handles on it? And now you just run around 
and the gimbals are, you know, the, the gyros are keeping everything balanced and you don't even have to worry about a steady cam anymore mm-hmm. because it's light, it's portable. You can hand it off to somebody else right in the middle of the shot and it still stays very, very um, level. And of course you could have a separate operator if you want to do pans and tilts during that move. And that's again, revolutionized uh, the shots that people are able to do because you can, there's a great video up on Vimeo if you haven't seen it um, where the shot starts out on the second floor, comes out onto a balcony and then tilts down and goes down, clear down to the first floor where they're actually lowering it down on a rope. Wow. Guys down at the bottom, grab it. And continue on with the shot, and it just is one flowing motion all the way around. Very, very cool. Problem is, it's like 15 grand for this thing, right? But the other thing that we notice with technology as it changes is that not only does it get smaller and it'll adapt, but people will find ways of making it cheaper. And there's a kid on Kickstarter right now who's got one for like $3,000 that he's basically been configuring himself for two years and now has got everything machined out and is willing to to sell these parts three thousand dollars for the exact same thing wow so we've gone over this time span of being moving a 500 pound camera on a track or a truck to moving a 20 pound 30 pound camera on a um a steady cam to taking five to seven pound cameras and being able to move them anywhere, anytime, and pulling off dramatic shots for your piece. So I think when we talk about technology and kind of the things that I kind of wanted us to talk about today is um, how the technology has changed over time. When Matthew and I were young, <laughs> when we were kids, when we were in college, when we were hey, your age, Zach. Hey, Zach. Yes? When Stephen and I used to shoot, we were actually told... To keep a dime in your pocket at all times. Do you know why that is, Stephen? Take off the base plate. Well, I know why that is. Zach, do you know why that is? Take off the base plate of your tripod. Well, that's one one thing. That's, that's more one. Than a quarter or a nickel. But yeah, yeah you'll want a quarter. Uh, we used to shoot on something called three quarter inch tape. Mm-hmm. Umatic, baby. Uh, Umatic, Umatic, yeah. Um, luckily, we did not have to live in the era of one inch or quad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, God. But. Um, you know how on, well, maybe you don't know because I know many of my students didn't know that there's a record tab on their mini DV tapes, mm. <laughs> record tab, you know, you pop that little record yeah. tab and, um, and it prevents you from recording on the tape. Well, on right. the three quarter umatic tapes on the bottom of the, on the, the tape, there was a little red tab that you would literally pull out. It was like a little button that you would pull out and you put in your pocket and you do whatever. Well, these were notoriously easy to lose. Yeah. And so the interesting thing was. A dime was the exact same size as this button. So you yep. take a dime, take a piece of tape, tape Slap it onto the on your bottom of your U-Matic, pop it in your cassette player, and away you go. You can record <laughs> over what's on that tape. So, yes, we always had to carry a dime and a quarter, a quarter in case you had to make a phone call to somebody. Yeah. Still good advice today. Back then, we had telephones that were not mobile. What? Seems I weird. Know. I know. Back then. Uh, we also, you know, when we talk about cameras and size... Uh, Matthew and I used to shoot three-quarter inch, but we would shoot on these big tube cameras. Uh, yep. And in order to, and, and these were not cameras that were a single unit. We actually had an umbilical cord that went from our camera down to a record deck that we wear that we wore. Yep. Um, is probably about the size of your backpack that housed the maybe a little bigger the machine. Yep, and that actually housed the recorder. When you count in, when you counted in the batteries, when you counted in the uh, deck when you counted in the weight of the camera, you were easily carrying. I'd say sixty fifty pounds. to sixty five pounds around. Yeah. Honestly, sounds horrible. Um, yes, but here's the nice thing about a heavy camera. Here's the really nice thing about a heavy camera. You put a heavy camera on your shoulder. That thing's a rock steady shot. Mm. Oh yeah, because Locked all that weight is solid. just was just down on you, and so things weren't moving around. Um, but. There are drawbacks to that. The very first job I had after college when I was in Atlanta, I was shooting a car show with one of these systems. And a car show usually happens in the summertime, right? Mm. Yeah. Car show is going to need a lot of space when you have 300 to 500 cars there. So you're probably going to hold it in a giant parking lot. They did this at a mall. Asphalt. (laughs) Heavy gear. First summer in Atlanta. 
You go also down? happened to be the hottest day on record of the year. Something right, like 105. Down, no, I didn't. I came really close. Oh, I, I, heat doesn't really get to me, but that, that day I was just pouring sweat. I mean, you could wring, wring it out of me. But a lot of it was because I'm hefting this camera, yeah. umbilical cord deck, and tripod around trying to get all these shots of these cars. Um, so I guess one of the nice things, Rodrigo... Uh, one of the nice things that happens was the introduction of the mini DV technology. Yep. And that happened in the, um, oh, I want to say like 94, 95 is when it was being tested. I remember seeing the first mini DV, um, demos at a, at a meeting that Sony put on Yeah. and everybody in the room was like, oh, this will never be any good quality. But that revolutionized how people approach film Yeah. and filmmaking. Yeah. In fact, that's, that's mostly what I used when I was in school is uh, we actually used a lot of DVC Pro and Mini DV, just depending on right. what camera we, <laughs> what camera you were able to check out. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, and it's the these are digital formats, so mm-hmm. um, not only that, but when um, even just for video, when the uh, big HD switchover happened or started to happen, mm-hmm. they found, or maybe this was functionality that, you know, Sony had always mystically put into the DV tape, like the exact same DV tapes could right. just be coded into HD. Right. So there was no need for a major format change either for right. pro, basically pro and consumer um, mm-hmm. uh, cameras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing that's nice about a, a switch over to digital that you may appreciate, Zach, mm-hmm. is that in a digital format, you can make as many copies as you want, and the 100th copy is going to look as good as the first copy. Yeah. Back in three-quarter days with Matt and I, uh, Matthew and I, um, if you made a copy, you were probably okay for the first generation copy. But if you made another Maybe copy out of that, second. you would start to see significant dropout, uh, dropout on, your, on your image. So if you were doing an A-B edit, and an A-B edit is essentially today a wipe, a dissolve, something like that. Mm-hmm. You had two different decks, your original mm-hmm. footage on two different decks, running through an edit system, uh, doing your dissolve or whatever, your switcher, onto a second tape. So already just to get to your master in any edit was one generation down. If you made copies of your master, you're probably okay. But anything after that started to look muddy and terrible. Digital really changed that. Yep. It also, because of the, of the mini-DV format, meant your cameras could be smaller and lighter and you didn't have to worry about tubes. You could wor- work with chips and three mm-hmm. chips and various mm-hmm. size chips. And cameras became super light and portable and they became super inexpensive. Yeah. And I think what we've talked about before, and I, I know that we've talked about, maybe not on this show, uh, but we've talked about the barrier to entry. What's the yeah. barrier to entry, Zach? Do you know what that is? The obstacles you have to get over to actually do what you want to do. And so the biggest one for most filmmakers is the price. Mm-hmm. And when you're shooting on film, I think, Rodrigo, we kind of talked after show last time mm-hmm. about, did you shoot something on film when you were in school? Oh, I did. Yeah. Was it on 8mm, 16mm, 35 What did you shoot on? Do you remember? I want to say it was 8. 8mm, eight just yeah. a little cartridge? Yep. Yeah. That's what we shot on too, but you know, even then it was hard to find. And we had to order a way for it. Um, and so it would take a couple of weeks for the yeah. film to get in. And then, then you have we to had have to have it, have it processed. And, and, you know, in film, you don't get to see the picture before it's developed. So you don't know if you even got something right. until weeks afterwards. Now, of course, in real film in- industry, you've got dailies, which they're processed overnight. And you mm-hmm. can watch the next day. Um, but that was terribly expensive. I mean, 20 bucks for a college student in, in the uh, 80s and 90s was terribly expensive. Just to get the raw eight millimeter film footage, let alone mm-hmm. the processing cost for it. Plus, you know the uh, complete and absolutely possible eventuality that at some point you accidentally exposed your film to oh, sunlight, yes. either loading it or unloading uh, it. And if you're looking at thirty five millimeter film, I mean the numbers that I was quoting um, back in the nineties was about a hundred dollars per ten minutes. So if you had a two hour <laughs> movie. You know, 120 mm-hmm. minutes, there's $12,000, right? Or I'm sorry, $100 for 10 minutes, yeah. So that mm-hmm. would be... $10 a minute? Yeah, $10 $1, a minute. $1,200. Yeah, so $1,200. $1, and that's just for your final. That's just, yeah, final. If you, had a, if you had a 2 to 1, 3 to 1, 5 to 1 shooting ratio, shooting ratio, for those who don't know, is the ratio of material shot to the ratio of material finally used. Right. 
you could be looking at five, ten thousand dollars easily. I remember when uh, I was accepted to um, to USC, and they were like, "Oh yeah, your projects uh, you can expect to spend about thirty thousand dollars per project." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, you got to be kidding me! I'm going to go to school that's not going to cost me an arm and a leg." Uh, but that's how much they were expecting mm-hmm. you to go in, in cost on that. So it's incredibly expensive to get into it if you were going to do anything on film. And even if you were going to do anything on video, $15,000 is not uncommon for a good lens. Even today, a good HD lens, uh, a good broadcast lens yeah. might be twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 just for the lens. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that we can get mini DV, we can get consumer cameras like the Sony cameras, uh, the Sony PD-150 uh, was, or the VX-1000 was really the first consumer DV camera that made it possible for indie filmmakers to go off and spend $5,000 on a camera, 10 bucks on tape, and shoot to their heart's content. Mm. And they could look at, the, they could look at it. That, that was a big game changer for filmmakers. I mean, do you, did you guys do a lot of stuff on DV then when, when you were finishing up film school? Yeah, I mean, anything... Basically, almost any student project, any like um, extracurricular or student-run project, was almost exclusively on DV, except for the guys who absolutely wanted to shoot on film, and they went to film school to shoot on Phil, Gish, Dernit, and they were going to do it. (laughs) But, I mean, we had cameras that already had... I mean, you could change the... um, Frame rate. frame rate. Frame rate. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's not just that you could change the frame rate, but it could also, you could always add some amount of grain in sure. post. So sure. it was like, yeah. you, could you know. You simulate a film. Yeah, to the untrained eye. And, I mean, even to the trained eye, if you weren't, you know, really, like, analyzing mm-hmm. it, like, you know, by, like, stopping it and seeing that there is some amount of interlacing right. here and there, like... It absolutely looked like film. There was no reason for us not to shoot it on video. And we're talking about like 10 bucks a tape. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Literally. I mean, you know, and it's less. like, yeah. And it's like a 90 minute tape is $10 mm-hmm. or less. Here, here's the cool thing. Uh, shortly after the Sony VX1000 came out, uh, Canon came out with their camera, the, uh, the XL1. Mm-hmm. And the XL1 really looked like a film camera. The way yeah. that it was set up, the way that it was angled, it looked like. Uh, a little 16-millimeter camera ready to have a 16-millimeter uh, mag slapped on the back so you could go and shoot stuff. This thing would have the variable frame rate. It had a, I mean, it just mm-hmm. looked beautiful. I lusted after that camera for years. <laughs> I mean, I was just always, I mean, we got that a couple camera in, never returned my calls. At, when it was right before I left uh, Atlanta that the school I was teaching at got a bunch of them, like literally a month before I left. So I did never got a chance to use the cameras except for just getting them set up. And then I moved um, but these were awesome cameras. So awesome, in fact, that, again, filmmakers could go out and shoot something that looked like it was shot on film and do it fast and do it cheap and do some amazing things with it to the point that we have a director who goes out and shoots a zombie movie in the streets of London mm-hmm. with, I believe it was the Canon XL1, maybe mm-hmm. the XL2, 28 days later, was shot on a video camera. Passed off as film and people today even watch it and think that it's that it's film. Yeah. And I know it. I I don't remember what I was watching, but they brought up that in his choice of cameras, and he said the only way that movie could have been made is if they were shooting it on uh, the XL1s, because some of those scenes, they just ran multiple cameras, and they shot a bunch of, because they had to get multiple angles. They didn't didn't have the permissions to shut down the roads all the time, so they had to be able to shoot fast, and they couldn't afford four different film cameras, but they could buy a couple XL1s and slap some tapes in there. Well, wasn't wasn't the Phantom Menace actually shot? Oh yeah, now that yeah. was shot not on uh, not on an inexpensive sure sure um, digital camera, but Lucas for a long time has always been interested in digital and, and manipulating mm-hmm. the image digitally. And a lot of people, a lot of our listeners also know this that uh, the pros and cons of that. But he made the choice of shooting everything. I believe it was on the Cine Alta mm-hmm. um, with uh, the the Star Wars Episode right. One. Because it, he said it gave him so much more freedom. And this right. was really probably, I don't want to say the first major motion picture because, I mean, 28 Days Later kind of did it first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but really it was the first major studio film that would have been done yeah. digitally with no film at all. Yeah. And, and then it was the first film projected digitally in theaters. Uh, t- 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 yes. I would. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And so Luke is just all over, all over digital. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's some, there's some pros and cons of digital. Uh, digital doesn't n- have nearly the contrast range that a, an analog film would have. Um, certainly that's changed more recently with, uh, the advent of shooting in HDR, mm-hmm. uh, the high dynamic range. Um, it, it often video is sharper than film. Mm-hmm. And that's why people who went and saw the Hobbit, um, at the higher frame rate were saying, oh, this looks too much like a soap opera. Right. It doesn't look like film. Well, video tends to be sharper and running at a faster frame rate than film. 30 right. frames per second, or in the case of The Hobbit, 48 frames a second. Right. So it does look more realistic and sharp and crisp. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the, the grain, the organicness of the grain, because the, the grain in film is, an, is, a, is a chemical process, not a, an, a, an electronic process. So, yeah, you lose a lot of stuff when you, when you go from film to digital. Right. Uh, today, when we look at it, I don't want to say a majority of films are shot digitally, Oh, really? Because I would. But it's pretty close. I would close. say a goodly portion. Uh, I, was, I think the the f- the amount of films that are shot exclusively on film are small. I think there's a hybrid. A lot of people will shoot digital and film. Right. And then people will shoot all digital. There's a list uh, over on Wikipedia. I don't know how up-to-date it is, but it's got a list of films shot digitally. And when you look at... It goes all the way back to uh, 98, and it starts to go forward. And you jump through the years pretty quickly until you hit about 2012. And then, of course, that just scrolls on and on and on. It's about four or five page downs that you have to hit Mm -hmm. to get through all the films in 2012 that were were shot digitally. Act of Valor uh, by uh, Shane Hurlbutt. Um, Oh, yeah. That one one I want to come back and talk about a little bit because of the uh, Canon uh, 5D Mark II. When they emigrated, they changed that name from Heave Took Us, by the way. <laughs> um, you've got um, – what's another one that's uh, – the uh, the Avatar movie, uh, all digital. Mm-hmm. Iron Man 3, all digital. Um, and a lot more that people would know. But there's also a number of movies that are shot um, – Hobbit, of, of course. Mm-hmm. There's still, though, a lot of filmmakers that prefer the film process because it has that right. feel – Mm-hmm. Of something more epic, yeah, and, and there and there are people yeah. that will never they will shoot on film as long as they possibly can. Give me an example of somebody who will shoot on film uh, as long as they possibly and, can. And Nolan says he will shoot on film for as long as he is uh, like he can still buy film. Right. Yeah. Christopher Nolan is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Argo was shot on film. Yeah. And I, you know what's Ryan real interesting? Johnson shot Looper on film. Oh yeah. If you if you watch Argo, I almost want to say that they it almost feels like they went back and got film stock from the 1970s because it just it has that look to Mm -hmm. it that feels like like that that you're embedded in Mm -hmm. that time period of course as you said christopher nolan uh, only wants to do stuff on film zack snyder um, did 300 that was his big breaker on digitally but when it came to man of steel he went and flipped that over to film because he said it gave it more of an epic feel to it I also wonder if maybe Christopher Nolan's well, Spectre uh, kind of had an yeah, There is definitely that. a Nolan influence. That definitely could have been one. Yeah, it's a, yeah there was definitely a Nolan influence in the Man of Steel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to see w- uh, specifically, it doesn't list Star Wars on here. It doesn't go back that far. Um, Star Wars was not shot digitally. <laughs> well, episode one, maybe it is on here. Let me see here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Star Wars Episode One was shot digitally. We were just talking about that. Um, oh, I'm yeah. Um, the three big cameras that people are using now, or at least I should say, independent filmmakers, because when we get up into the studios, I mean, they're still shooting with the Cine Altas and the Aeroflexes and the and the uh, the Cine Altas and the Aeroflexes and the Aeroflexes and the Flavins and the but you know, and a lot of people, that. a lot of people today are shooting on the red camera, and the right. red is is designed by the Oakley sunglasses guy. That's the guy who owns Red, mm-hmm. same guy that made your uh, backpack there. Uh, backpack, by the yep. way, Zach. Yep. What's his um, name? Oakley Von. Schnicken. Oh, hold on, just a second. Annie, <laughs> Annie Oakley, Annie Oakley, <laughs> Bill Oakley, and Josh Weinstein. No, uh, that's actually his species. He's. And he's Ann Oakley. They yes. come from Oakland. I can find it here in a minute. But, I'm uh, proud to be an Oakley from. So, in addition, so people are shooting on the on the red one. 
uh, which is, yep. a, is a great camera, and everybody's scrambling for that. Yeah. Um, Red one. But a lot of people are shooting on cameras like the 5D Mark II and the more recent 5D Mark III, uh, the Blackmagic mm-hmm. Design camera, which just came out. Uh, a lot of a lot of cameras. Yeah, when you out. get down into the uh, the I think the, the lower indie, I think you'll see a lot of can stuff. But I mean, bigger you, bigger movies are shooting like B cameras on on Mark twos. Um, a friend of mine that I went to high school with was a um, uh, gaffer on twenty four, mm-hmm. and he had told me that there's a lot of times that they would take the five D Mark twos. And just attach them to the camera cars, and that's what they were shooting yeah. all their exterior mm-hmm. stuff with. They drive around with these cameras strapped all over the, all over the car to get their get their shots. This is great small camera. Yeah. What are what are some advantages of, the, of a of a digital SLR? SLR standing for single lens reflex, uh, meaning that it's like a traditional thirty five millimeter camera where you've got a mirror that has to flip up in order to expose the film, mm-hmm. or in this case, expose the chip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what are some advantages of, of a camera like the the five D Mark two or three? What did you What do you have? I have a Canon 60D. Oh, 60D. Okay, so yeah, is that a that's a crop sensor camera? It is. Okay, so what's what what does that mean? Crop it sensor camera means that it's you're not getting the full image, but it's crop. It's like it's cropping the 35 millimeter down, right, to something smaller, and yeah, and it's whatever that multiplier is. 0. 0.6, I think, right, is probably think what it is. So. The biggest disadvantage is you're losing some of your your um, um, area to expose your image on. Right. This is the problem with the early digital cameras is you're shooting on eighth-inch chips or two-thirds-inch chips, really mm-hmm. small chips to get an image on, whereas if you could shoot something that's on a large 35-millimeter sensor, right. you get that shallow depth of field. You can open up your aperture even bigger to get the shallow depth of field and get more mm-hmm. light exposure and so on and mm-hmm. so on. Um, the other thing that's kind of problematic for – a crop sensor camera is figuring out your lenses yeah. because a 50 millimeter lens, as we talked in one of the previous uh, episodes, is what would be a normal lens. But on a crop sensor, you take that multiplier like 0.6, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. You take that times 50, and that's the equivalent of what you're getting with that camera. So you're actually right. getting more a, a closer shot yeah. with that. But what are some advantages that you see of a digital SLR com- uh, compared to like the PD-150s or the PD-170s that, mm-hmm. uh, that you used in college? Yeah, uh, depth of field is one of the main factors of shooting with my 60D over the cameras I shot with college that I really like. I think there's just a greater range of, uh, you can get just a sh- so much shallower depth of field with the DSLRs. Uh, and, and image quality, obviously, over the what we were shot on college because what we were shooting on college wasn't an HD Right, yeah, we were shooting FG, sure. so that's really not really not a fair comparison. But uh, I I enjoy uh, shooting on digital cards over mini DVs immensely. Why? Just the portability and ease of extraction of what I just shot is mm. so much easier than having to uh, rip off a tape. Now, Rodrigo, uh, at uh, PBS, you guys made that migration from SD to HD. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and you guys went through a technology change as well. Talk a little bit about that. Well, we went to um, Canon. I actually don't remember uh, what the uh, model number is on those, but uh, we actually got the the cameras that we got. We specifically got prosumer models instead right, of pro right. models because they had image stabilization mm-hmm. and like. A lot of the time when we're out shooting, Kansas is so windy that we actually need image stabilization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like it's it's a thing for people who are like shooting off the shoulder and they don't. It, supposedly, it's something that pros don't need, right? Because you're gonna have all these things. But um, seriously, sometimes when you're doing a a, well, a long again, zoom or something like that out here, the image stabilization actually helps. But again, it's also the equivalent of dealing with as Matthew and I were talking about earlier, a sixty pound camera. Yeah, yeah. versus a. 10-pound camera or a 5-pound camera. I don't know if it's so much that a pro wouldn't need it. I think part of it is a pro wouldn't want it. First of all, Because I know that (laughs) there were quite a few features on the – and we we, when I was last in television, we bought consumer cameras. 
because they were the cheapest. Right. There were a lot of features that I literally had to go through and turn off. Sure, sure. Because the camera was doing so much to try and fix what I wanted to do when I was actually shooting with the bloody thing. So, so I would I would definitely say that that's an issue. We are uh, we and and it is. We have uh obviously at PBS we have at least the PBS station that I work at. Uh, we have money issues. We got cameras that can shoot both, that specifically could shoot both in HD and SD because we some of our equipment only works in SD oh, yeah, and we yeah. didn't have the money to overhaul everything. Mm-hmm. So, for example, our control room, our, our control panel, uh, only our switcher basically only works in SD. Mm. So if we wanted stuff that was compatible with that, our field cameras had to be in SD as well. Mm-hmm. Now, after that, we can like up convert it because we do have an HD channel right. that everything goes on. But yeah, right now it's it's funny because every, like half the things that we do are in SD. Like anything we shoot in the studio has to be in SD. Anything we shoot out on the field, we've basically completely switched over to doing it in HD. Right, but you're not using a digital SLR. You're still using a traditional video camera, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you have you shot with a digital SLR? Uh no. Okay. So you wouldn't have a, a means of comparison? Not really, no. Okay. Um, but you've been around when I've shot stuff on my digital SLR. And, right. And you've seen some stuff. And then I like reach for it and you're like, no, no. no. <laughs> actually, I've got a couple of cameras. One Zach's actually. Yeah, actually, um, did you see the cameras at Nertacular? Yes. Those are exactly the same cameras that we use. Oh, okay. All right. So those are Panasonics or something? Uh, they're Canons. Oh, are they? Okay. I didn't see. I know that they had a couple of Blackmagics or at least one yeah, Blackmagic yeah. design. Uh, I mean, well, they did. They, they okay. did. That's something else, though. Yeah. Okay. So Zach is all hot and bothered over the black magic design. It looks nice. <laughs> uh, did you see from a interactive systems design standpoint what's wrong with that camera? No, I never actually looked at the interface. I just looked at the body of it. But did you see how the people were shooting? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's yeah, Zach for you. Then look at the no, face. No, they were not checking out the body. No, Try they it. were not. They the problem with the black magic design is the. Uh, back is your right. your screen. Your viewfinder. Is putting that on your viewfinder. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to shoulder mount that, how are you going to shoulder mount that? Oddly. So, yes. So, <laughs> if you can imagine drawing a straight line off your right shoulder about, oh, I don't know, eight inches mm-hmm. from your shoulder, maybe a foot, that's where that screen is. If you're really wanting to see something, did you see how they, those guys were? Oh, yeah. they, they were craning their necks trying to get in so that they could see what's going on on that viewfinder to the point where I can't imagine that they were walking away with without sore necks at the end of the day. They needed a double shoulder mount. Well, or they needed something that shifted that over to the left <laughs> yeah. or a different viewfinder altogether. Oh, right, right, right. But from an ergonomic standpoint, no way would you catch I mean, they using could, that camera. Potentially, they could like fit it with some kind of bypass where they would have an eyepiece. Yeah, I'm sure that like I'm that. sure uh, Blackmagic uh, AJA. But I mean, I, has that, when but. you when you look at people shooting it for uh, film and you have it on a tripod, it's yeah. completely fine at that point. Sure, if if that's how you're doing it. But right, for right. what they were doing it, no thanks. No. Plus, there's but, a number of other issues. But with that I mean, it's well. it's the idea of shooting 2K, 4K at. A 2K, a so let's make DSLR this cl- clear. When people say 2K, we're essentially talking 1080p, right? Yeah, I mean, it's slightly bigger. But not, yeah, that's not totally by much. Not by much. <laughs> not by not much. Not by much. Okay, 1920, you're looking at a difference of 80 pixels. Right. Okay, so when people are like, oh, this can shoot in 2K, yes, well, the HD 1080 it's close. is equivalent. Um, 4K, that's cool, but... How's that HD going for you guys over there? You're still having to down convert a bunch of your HD stuff when you're editing. No, no, to actually, make it compatible. No, actually, we do it. We we edit in HD. But then, do you down convert it so it plays on your SD channel? Uh yeah. We okay. just take everything. We we basically up convert everything that says D to our HD channel, and we down convert anything that says D to our uh, that's HD to our SD channel. Right. I mean, it, it's it's. Yeah, I think it's great that people are talking about 4K now, and that people are um, advancing. Oh, so, so, advancing so what to you're the saying is like there's is, no like anything that you shoot in 4K, you're going to have to down convert right yeah, now. Yeah, you're anyway. going to have right. to. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even know how far you have to go with like a 70 millimeter. What the equivalency is there, uh, you right. know, 70 millimeter film. But 
I mean, and this is the question that's going on right now in our building is everyone's like, uh, so do we want to go ahead and get 4K cameras? And I'm like, no, because we're not doing anything in 4K. Everything mm-hmm. will have to be down converted into an HD signal or we're going to be shooting everything in, mm-hmm. in 720 or 1080 to be sent out over our cable system and our various outlets. Right. At this point, it doesn't make fiscal sense for us to be investing money in 4K no. equipment because in 10 years when it finally becomes – commonplace that every tv and every channel is, it'll also is broadcasting be cheaper. in 4k it'll also be cheaper right. for us to do that too for what you're doing it doesn't it's not as practical but well I think mr snooty cinema, filmmaker over there what no are you doing i'm not doing it let, but let i read things before you shoot them down <laughs> the directors like shooting in that 4k oh, sure 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 because sure, sure, they sure. have the ability to stabilize their shot or they want right, to right. or get the exact framing that I'll, they want I'll tell to. you what it is nice Back when we got our HD cameras oh, yeah, in, yeah. but we were doing everything mm-hmm. in SD, to be able to shoot wide yeah. and then basically digitally zoom in Give you to what we wanted. It still looked fine because we right. it got down converted mm-hmm. to SD. So I could shoot an interview without touching the camera. I didn't mm-hmm. have to zoom in and out. Just have the guy with a big white thing around his head of, of empty space. And I could zoom into his face, zoom yep. out of his yep. face, yep. frame into the left, to the hey, right. Here's, here's, a, here's a hint. A lot of internet video that you're seeing right now that's in 720, they're shooting it at 1080 and doing the exact same mm-hmm. thing. We do that. I've done that a lot, too. Yeah. In fact, we shot uh, Want List a lot at 1080, and then we edit it down in 720 so that we have the ability to pop in for a close-up and mm-hmm. pop out. So it works really great. Yep. And so from that perspective, yes, that is a nice thing for a filmmaker to be able to shoot in 4K and be able to do those things or even be able to make a really high-quality print off of that if they're mm-hmm. still going into right. a film distribution or if they're going into uh, digital theater um, and projecting. Yeah. It works great there. Let me ask you this, young Zach. Sure. What are the chances, you as you become a filmmaker and, and you start going out there and making your, your movies, mm-hmm. I think, do we need to get rid of the word film? Do we need to get rid of that as a term? Eh, I no. don't think so. I mean, I can see people being like, oh, you should just call them movies. I guess you could, if you switch to movies, it would be fine. But I don't have a problem with calling them films. People what about, still call uh, CDs albums. Mm-hmm. Do you have a problem with someone going out and saying, Rodrigo, go out and film, uh, film that rodeo? No, I don't because otherwise there's there's – only a couple other things that they can say, one of which is shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> that, like, especially around here, yeah, where yeah. lots of people own guns, like, just sounds weird to people. It's like, oh, I'm just going to go there and shoot the rodeo. So this is, so <laughs> film is just going to become a generic term for anything of capturing... I, I, think, capturing it, I, think, it already I think it already has. And I understand I the, like, for example... Um, mostly the engineer. It's it's interesting. The engineers kind of seem to care about this. Us production guys don't. When we write our scripts, or rather, when other people write the scripts, um, like for pledge, for mm-hmm. example, yeah, they will have a break in there, and it'll say tape. Right, 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 right. Because it's always said tape. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like the engineers are like, actually, we're running them either we're running them digitally, or we have this like blue violet disc system yeah, yeah yeah and they're like so they're technically not tapes and it's like just let them put tape down it doesn't matter yeah, yeah. um yeah. when you want to get technical when you're actually having a technical discussion you can talk about the difference between filming something and shooting something on video mm-hmm. but when you're talking about hey are you going to see i don't know life of pi or whatever right i don't think it matters whether you call them films or movies or whatever matthew what were you oh. gonna say I uh, I guess it falls to the same point that when I get in the Chrysler, I am not forcing the cattle to run to market, but I am still driving. And I think that, you know, even though that phrase comes from a specific place and has a specific meaning, I, I don't necessarily know that saying I'm going to go see a film and that being shot entirely on digital. You mean you guys don't say, I'm going to navigate my automobile to the cinema I'm going to navigate watch my... a motion picture? No. But first, no. that's, what I will, I tell, that's what I, I say. I will pick up I... my young lady friend and then escort her to the picture show. <laughs> well, you're not really going to pick her up. No. Right, you're going to escort her right, right, to the right. movie show. Right, right exactly. exactly. So, Zach, when, when, when you become a, a movie maker... No, I will actually 
to get her into the car. I oh, you will have will to lift, lift her. Up. her oh, okay. Rodrigo is a seat. sick I, I lift am. system on his <laughs> the car. Giant, on his uh, Yaris. Wooden yes. wheels. <laughs> yes. Uh, y- Yaris actually has a huge hydraulics. It's, yeah. it's half <laughs> Yaris, half Studebaker. So when you become a movie maker, Zach, and you and you make your your first picture show, um. Where, where where's this going to be exhibited? Where are you going to show it? On the side. I of mean, the it, we're talking about my first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it'll probably be on like YouTube. You you say you say that so pejoratively. No. Well, kind of YouTube. Why? Why I'm do you why do you treat that as a video. as a bad thing? Why is YouTube a bad thing for distribution? It's not a bad thing. It's just there is a whole lot of muck in YouTube. Oh sure. That to get over that in any shape or form, is quite difficult. I mean, when you go to the front page of YouTube and the uh, first three video clips are uh, a news reporter pronouncing someone's name wrong, because that's funny, uh, then you have nothing that's actually, like, creative. It's just like, oh, look, she said something live on TV. Let's just capture it and put it on YouTube, and it has 15 million hits. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's that's an issue with YouTube. But it's fine. I mean, it, YouTube is great for what it is, and it can be. YouTube is able to be many different things. One of them is for funny cats. One of them is for uh, weird talking oranges. Another one is for people to like put content of shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. So what's wrong? Do you, do you think that? Do you think that your movie has to go to the the movie house, to the movie theater? I think it'd be to the cool. Big screen? I think it'd be cool, but it's not necessary. Is it? Is it necessary or is it not necessary? Well, I mean, depends what you want to do. Or do you, well, uh, do you well, want well, to make a lot of money? Then yeah, it's got to go. Well, I, it's, I, it almost. I mean, I guess first off, what do you want? I mean, I, is this the, the? Are we talking about the movie that he's working on right no, no, now? No, 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 no. Some future, some future two-hour, you know, gotcha. Walking across the plains of Kansas when, to slay a dragon on the other end. When right. he goes out to reboot Clash of the Titans in 2022, make sure right. you have a really good kraken. No, you need to reboot the black hole. Okay. <laughs> I will voice one of those robots for you. Thank you. It'll be Maximilian. I've never seen it. Maximilian doesn't speak. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 yes. Floated right into that one. Most people don't realize that Stephen is his middle name and his first name is Aristotle, which makes his initials actually ass. So get, I'm not get calling your, him a get bad to your, name. Uh, get to your. Uh, well, what do you want? I mean, do you want to make a movie that is seen in a theater, or do you want a movie that is widely distributed through the internet? Second one. Okay. So then, it doesn't matter if you. Then you want to end up on YouTube. Yeah. Or Vimeo yeah. or wherever no. they're distributed. It's, Pro- it's, probably it's, all of them. It's I think yes. To get to a, a theater distribution on like, I mean, we're talking theater distribution. I'm talking right. like wide release. Mm-hmm. I mean, even right. if it's in America, wide release. Well, wait a minute, theater net. You know, is the widest release that we right. Have. Uh, no, I'm talking. I'm talking, well, about, no. I'm talking theater wide sure. release. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's just so much money. It's a lot of it's money. Unbelievable. And, and certainly, you know, one of the, again going back to digital, we don't have to make. Uh, um, I was listening to an interview with Adam Carolla and he was talking about The Hammer. It's a great film if people haven't seen it. It didn't get a wide distribution because it was like $15,000 per print mm-hmm. to get out to the theaters. And he had to go into his own pocket, something like $100,000. That's 100 prints. That's 100 theaters that you can show yeah. it in. There's only like 3,700 movie theaters in the United States. Somebody want to look that up real quick? I'm pretty sure that... Um, I'm pretty sure that there's there's less than that. Siri, how many movie theaters are in the United States? There are 307. Shut up. <laughs> if there are 307. I'm Siri now. Here, here we go. Um, number of U.S. movie screens. In the year 2011, there were 38,000 screens right. um, for indoor. 606 drive-in. Now, 38,000 divide by your multiplexes. Um, there's probably not that many theaters even if you figure that you know if plexus with only two or three screens you're probably right, not right. Mm-hmm. Five mm-hmm. theaters. yeah five yeah somebody will look this up and, and write in so 
digital distribution obviously is cheaper because they're just yeah. sending it over the yeah now. they're they're sending the hard drive and you just pop yeah. it in and you and you play it and go. Well, now they're even just doing uh, through the internet through through they download it from satellites. They yeah, give yeah. them unlock codes and then just from yeah, satellites. Yeah, in yeah, fact, there's a really cool thing. Yeah, um, for what was it, Iron Man or no Avengers? Um, for projectionists, they send out this thing saying, "Make sure that when you download this." That when you run it the first time, go through all these checks to make sure that the file is correct, to make mm-hmm. sure it's balanced mm-hmm. correctly. Da da da. Um, but five thousand theaters, thirty-eight thousand screens. You want what? Five thousand of those screens? Eight thousand of those screens? Is that what you want? Well, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, hypothetically, I mean, you'd want. You can't really do all of them because then nothing else would be showing in America. <laughs> But, yes, that is <laughs> I mean, what I ex- want from ex- my I, movie. I mean, really, that's exactly what you would want because everyone just has to buy a ticket to your movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, but say I don't know. I, it's not. It's not a thing that for a wide release. So I have just, ever thought about because it's just been as since I've been in this uh, making mentality. It's everything just goes on the internet because that's. I mean, that's what we do now. It's easier. Sure. Just it's, for comparison, Wolverine, the Wolverine, the sequel, opened in 3,900 <laughs> theaters in the United States. 3,900 theaters? 3,900 theaters. Every now, time you say the screens. Wolverine, you sound like my grandma. Well, that's what it's the title <laughs> it's, of the movie. That's is what the movie is. It's the Wolverine. We're going to go down to the movie theater, and we're going to watch the Star Wars. Oh, the name of this movie is The Wolverine. Um, Duh, Wolverine. The Wolverine. The Wolverine. So... That's what you're looking at. You're looking at around 4,000 screens for a, for a wide release. Yeah. Snicked, snicked, bub. I, you know, that's, I think that's still a great uh, goal to try to go for. Yeah. Certainly you can't win Academy Awards. You can't win, you can't no. help people get Screen Actor Guild Awards unless it's been shown in a traditional theater, theater yeah. at least once. Yeah. Right. Just like you can't win an Emmy unless you're production has been shown on television somewhere, right? Is that true? That is true. But what about Netflix? Netflix isn't a movie theater. It got nominated. For what? For an Emmy. For Screen Actors Guild, right? For, no, oh, for, for an Emmy. Emmy? Really? For an Emmy. Yeah, it's okay. House of Cards got nominated. Oh, okay. It didn't air on another television show? Not, Not on Showtime? No, it's okay. the... Because uh, people were like making first, a big deal about this on the, the first internet. Thing. Cool, cool, cool. I think... Personally, people today are better off distributing through internet outlets yeah. than through trying to go through a movie theater route. I think you have the potential to make more money. I think you have a potential to make a bigger name for yourself. I think you have the potential to um, get your project seen by more people yeah. than you would if you went to the traditional theater route. Am I wrong on that, Rodrigo? Uh, or do you have some thoughts on that? Well, the only the only thing that counters that, I think, is that there's already a system for people to go to the theater and watch movies. Now, uh, you can you can say that there's a system for people to download things from the internet, but in the internet, there's a trillion things to see. Right. When you yeah. want to go to the movies, there are four or five things to see. Mm-hmm. So. In that sense, yes. But from the standpoint of I want to get my movie out to people, it's going to be a lot, like you said, it's going to be a lot cheaper to do it through the internet. And um, doing it through the theaters, there's going to be just so many hoops that you have to jump through. And to, in the end, potentially have individual theaters decide not to run it. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, there's the whole marketing aspect that you have to go through, too. Yeah. Um. But you'd have to do that either way because you, you know, on the internet, you want people, you have to get the message out there because right. again, there's six gazillion things that sure. anybody could watch instead of your movie. But price wise, I would argue that it's cheaper to market for something online than it is to market for a movie. I can see that, sure. And unless you're, um, what's his name, Tyler Perry, and the way he markets movies, I don't think you're going to get. I think it's going to be does, hard to do that. I'm not going to say it's show, impossible. Does he just show up at people's houses? <laughs> yeah. Well, originally he would go to um, the churches and say, mm-hmm. "Hey, everybody, watch this film. Get behind this. This is a this is a, 
good movie for you to watch and, and go see it. And so the churches would all start showing them locally in the churches and then it started getting bigger. And, mm-hmm. you know, Tyler Perry now owns a huge studio in yeah. Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if that burned just recently or had a fire recently near it. That's actually like a wonderful strategy to market a movie. It worked for him. It worked for him. It has to be the right kind I mean, of If you movie, have the right though. movie and you get church people behind it, and they'll make a piss ton of money. Or you could also make a church movie that pisses off a lot of church people. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, and then you're in trouble that way. I don't know if Last Temptation, it did pretty good for itself, right? I don't know. Okay. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, Zach... What are you going to do? What are you going to do with this this gear that you've purchased? Are you going to make it for yourself? Are you going to make it for a local audience? Are you going to go for a wide audience? What What's your ultimate goal? Make money so I can pay off the loan I took out to buy all of it. <laughs> That's my immediate goal. Sure, pay off your yeah. Okay, do you have a long Do you have a long term vision of what you want to do with this? I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. Yeah. A lot of people get into this kind of stuff. Uh, internet filmmaking for a lot of reasons. They yeah. do it for money, as you already yeah. mentioned. They do it for celebrity. Uh, you know, they want to be internet famous, God, or they want to be famous just from that. that. Um, could be ego driven. Uh, it could be doing it for um, quality of life issues. You know, yeah. I do stuff when I want. Do it once a month. Put it up online. Yeah. You look at um, Devin Supertramp. His stuff. Um, you, you'd know it if you saw it. It's the guy that jumps off the, Mm -hmm. off the, uh, canyons and, and records everything as people are going down and that kind of stuff does a, he did this really cool parkour thing for, um, San Diego Comic-Con that I think comes out this week or next week. Cool. Um, but basically people are paying his way to go to all these different places in the world and shoot this stuff. Mm -hmm. So for him, it's a, it seems like a quality of life issue, although I don't, you know, He's right. probably making some good money probably off of it, money. but I think it's for him, it's, hey, I want to travel. I want to do these things mm-hmm. now and work with all these great people. And so he's able to do that. So what's what's your ultimate end goal? Quality of life, uh, ego, money, celeb? Certainly not ego and not celebrity. <laughs> Rodrigo's pointing to himself. Do it for yeah. me. <laughs> doing it do all it for, for my ego. Yeah. Make us famous, yeah. you jerk. <laughs> um, I... I mean, it sounds hokey, but I want to do it just because I love doing it. Like that's I've always hokey. been. I mean, I mean, but that's just Dude, like it's that. Super hokey. Yeah, no, it totally yeah. is. It totally is. <laughs> why uh, do you Why do you do it, Rodrigo? Money. Really? Yeah. Okay. I actually the 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 main reason why I make why I'm in video production is because I'm good at it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't have. I do like expressing myself through video, but that's not what I'm doing right now because I'm working sure. for someone else doing sure, that sure. stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's primarily because it's something I'm good at and something that they'll pay me to do. What about you, Matthew? I mean, you don't work in video specifically, but why do you do the podcast and why do you do the website? What are you hoping uh, to get out of it? I, I'm a Sagittarius and uh, Sagittarius loves it when people go, hey, ain't he clute? Cute, ain't he clever? So I think for me, it's probably about you know that celebrity validation bit, mm. not necessarily people saying, "Oh gosh, he's wonderful," and blah blah blah, but to occasionally you know that moment where you throw out a joke, and three hundred episodes of the podcast later, somebody goes, "I got that joke," and I'm like, "Good, it was just for you." That ability, you know, to go do 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 do, and have somebody go, "Hey, that was kind of cool." I, I think for me, I do a lot of this not to make money, although ultimately what I want to do is to be able to do a lot of the stuff that we're doing mm-hmm. for quality of life change, right? Yeah. So that we can work on projects that we want to work on so that we can explore things that we want to work on. But right now I'm doing it because I love to create stuff, sure. right? I mean, it's just like, what can we create next to get people to watch or listen or be a part of and get involved with? And... Is there a way to transform that into a different quality of life? Right mm-hmm. now, it's it's not a great quality of life because we're up at, right now, 1 o'clock in the morning <laughs> recording episodes and then editing them together and putting them out for people. And then we all get up and go do RWJs. And for people that don't know what I refer to on Twitter as an RWJ, a real-world job, mm-hmm. we go and do that from 7.30 in the morning until 5 at night and then come back and do all this stuff again. If we're lucky. Uh, yeah, I yeah. would love to be able to do this as the full-time, just create, 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 because part of it is the learning experience that goes on from creation. You know, you learn from mistakes, you can push things, boundaries, you can see what other people are doing and adapt it to to what you're doing. And I think it's that 
it's that creation process and the distribution and, and seeing the joy or reading about the joy that people get from the artwork that is the, and I don't think that's ego driven. I don't think that's quality no, of life driven. No. It's just like, I like creating stuff for you to enjoy. It's expression. It's self-expression. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I think that's, that's what I get out of it. It's not precisely ego, but it has some similar roots beneath it. Sure, Probably. Yeah. So again, Zach, what do you want to get out of all of this? If it's, if it's money, money's easy to come by, yeah. right? I can give you a car no, to somebody yeah. right now, but you can fly up to Vancouver and do a bunch of videos for that person. And that it's money. Cool. It's money, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, you can get into, I mean, just look and see what people are doing for money, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> better for better or worse, porn industry is all about money, right? Mm-hmm. And do you want to go down that low? Do you want to go up? I mean, so what, what do you want right. to get out of this? I know it's definitely not money. I've always just really wanted enough money to like pay all my bills and then be able to do like stuff I want on the side. And so quality of life. Yeah, so I mean, what it is. It's really, it's like, it's a quality of life thing. And I want to be able to explore what's possible and what I'm capable of. Yeah. And do it not late in the morning. So I have to like put off everyone else in my life. Yeah. <laughs> not late in the morning. <laughs> So you basically what? want to make is that sure what you I have said? a chance yeah. to sleep in? I, no, I don't like I don't like sleeping in late at night is what I meant to say. Yeah, qual- quality of life. That's yeah. what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, okay, cool, man. I mean, that's that's a good 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 approach. Nothing wrong with making money. I mean, don't don't no, think I like that I'm money. sitting here vilifying no, money no. because Money's without good. money none of this oh, would be possible yeah. right now, right? That dirty money. Um, yeah, like dirty dirty money. Oh, shut. How do we get that money? Um, you have well, to know first, Sean Blue, Combs. Blue Man. You get a whole bunch of hot girls to sing for you. Did you say you have to know Blue Man? No, I said Blue Meth. Oh, okay. Blue Meth. Yeah. Walter or Walter White over here. Yeah. I didn't Blue Meth fight the Fantastic Four back in the 60s. Uh, all right. Probably. So are you, are you happy with the gear that you've purchased? Let me ask you that. Yeah. I haven't been able to test it out as much as I wanted to yet. How come? But I, uh, stuff falls through. But really, I I just been shooting a lot of B roll stuff. Like essentially, just, he has he has all this equipment, but he bought really shoddy carrying cases for it, <laughs> so stuff literally falls through. Uh, a lot of stuff I just been shooting is like I mean, what you would essentially classify as like B roll stuff, the audio. So I haven't really sure, tested sure. out my uh, Rode mic and uh, Zoom H N four. Now yeah, you're just yeah, making yeah. stuff. So, H4N, uh, yeah. H4N, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I will H1N1. soon. Coming up guess with some stuff. That, guess who's getting that six in? Oh, God. Days. I if that would have been out when I was buying all my stuff. Oh my goodness! That's that's the other thing is the buyer's remorse because as soon as you buy oh. something, then the new the new thing comes out. It's going to be so much more expensive than H four N though, but it, it looks freaking. It awesome. is. Not, I, I'll oh show it to you when it comes gosh. in. Um, what's the advantage, Matthew or Rodrigo, of renting over buying? If you're project based. Renting might actually be a cheaper alternative, but yeah. if you're constantly doing stuff, then mm. you're better off buying it, and it pays for itself yeah, over yeah. the long and run. Out here, I don't think renting is really possible. It, it is. It I mean, is. there's I mean, a lot of places in Denver that'll rent that'll ship overnight. Ship it out. Yeah, um, lens to go. So if you need a specialty lens, there's some companies that'll ship. Yeah, hey, I have seen some you lens, lens places uh, overnight. And we've actually, it. we've actually for um, for my real world job we've rented like jibs yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and things really? like that so yeah i mean there's people around cool. who'll do I, it. I like to amass a lot of gear just because i like to tinker with it yeah. but then the thing is okay at 11 o'clock at night i want to play around with this stuff i've got access to it and i can monkey around and and just create with it so yeah. um yeah i think you're probably better off buying but yeah you're always going to have that buyer's remorse mm-hmm. if and I, it's and it's so cheap now it is. I, I got mean, my gear relatively. I mean, in the scope of less than ten thousand for everything that you oh got. Oh God, yeah. So just in comparison, it's less than five thousand. Less than three thousand. Really? Oh yeah. Wow. So just for comparison, you go, boy. My first setup included a PD one fifty from Sony, mm-hmm. batteries, tripod, uh, light kit from Lowell, three light kit from Lowell, uh, a Sony UVW microphone. I'm trying to think if I got anything else. Probably some miscellaneous bits. Mm-hmm. Ten grand is how much I how, how much I spent on that. Yeah. So yeah, That's this barrier of entry entry that we were talking about has dropped dramatically. Yeah. 
but it's really low. Yeah. And so people can go out and create. I really I mean, encourage people if you if you've got the creative spirit or even if you don't, go out and just put something together. I mean, please, I think we've seen enough uh shots to the nut up on YouTube that we don't need to see any more of that. But if you if you capture on your iPhone, still put it on because it makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. All right. Um all right. Well, I think you're. I think you're kind of going and approaching this in a in a good way, Zach. Oh, good. Thank um, but you. just realize that five years from now, everything you just bought, you could probably be able to pick up the same yeah. thing or better for a thousand third bucks. of the price. A third yeah. of the price. Everything, yeah. yeah, everything that you bought in three years is probably going to be considered obsolete. Have Certainly. you considered that? How often you're going to have to replace your gear? Yeah. Which Ask which me this, though. which is a kind of a reason I went with the six CD. It's. And I've shot on one before I got mine, and I like it, and it's nice, but it's not the high end, right, right. even in the DSLR well, from Canon range. It's not even close. When to it the comes high to end. when it comes to the DSLRs, you want to invest in your lenses, in your glass, yeah. and not the body, because yeah. if you invest in the right glass, that'll be interchangeable as the bodies change, and the glass yep. is still the glass. So, mm-hmm. Matthew, yeah. you had a question for Zach? Not really a question, but more of something to consider. When I moved to Topeka. In 1998, Topeka was the third largest television market in Kansas, possibly, you know, the, the top 10 of that Midwestern area, as long as you don't take Texas into account, because, hey, they're not the Midwest. In 1998, I was working with not just digital, but we were still working with beta. We still had some oh, three-quarter, yeah. and they had just phased out the one-inch machines. They were still using one-inch reel-to-reel for certain projects because that was where the footage they needed was. So you want to be able to make sure that if you have, say, you know, three years down the line, you've put something together that you may want to consider yeah, still using. Yeah. You want to make sure that you have the archival ability or the ability to access that one way or the other. Because, I mean – if you make a wonderful movie and you put it in that metaphorical trunk and you get down the line, you're like, I really want to revisit that piece about the fat guy who works in the comic shop, but we're three formats down the line or you don't necessarily have a way to access it. You want to make sure you still have some sort of storage facility that, you know, in the digital age, less of an issue, but still something you'll want to continue. That was the main uh, uh, task I was hired for at my job when I graduated high school was archiving, archiving uh all of their mini DVs. We had like 400 of them. We, uh, when I came to the university, uh, I had a couple of students start the archiving of our three quarter inch Mm. to to mini DV. (laughs) And we still had, we still had, and finally I was just like, if people want to take this home and store it at your homes, that's fine. But we, there is not a three quarter deck in the city that we can find anywhere to do any more archiving stuff. It's either down or the people are hoarding it because they know that it's the last one. Mm -hmm. And, um, finally it's just like, look, we either going to keep this stuff or we're going to get rid of it. Um, and now we've got all these mini DVs that I'm like, good Lord, what are we going to do with all these mini DV tapes? <laughs> Cause there's a historical record here that you want to kind of preserve. Right, right, right. A lot of it's probably not even worth saving, but yeah. you never know when we that... always, we always run into that. We mm. recently went through like a big archive, uh, um, switch from like we had, um, oh, what were they? Those big gray ones. Uh, M2s. Betas? M2s. No. Oh, yeah, the M2s. We, yeah, we yeah. had all these M2s that we then went to our blue-violet disc stuff, mm-hmm. um, which which was great because it cut down, like, it's... Oh, yeah, know, it's it, a it significant space size, saver. Yeah, yeah. But then we're like, do we really need to archive all this stuff? You know, when you, yeah. look, at, you look at a lot of stuff, that's why there's uh, so many missing episodes of Doctor Who is because mm-hmm. people were just mm-hmm. like... Up, oh, time to clean and, this out. We're never going to use it again. Throw it in the dumpster. And the BBC literally had, you know, a process where they'd wipe them and reuse the tapes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. The only reason that Monty Python didn't get wiped was because I can't remember which creator it was. It may have been uh, Terry Gilliam was like, "We will buy you new tapes." And even then, the BBC was like, ah, "I don't know if we, uh, we we can just wipe the one." No, 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 no. We'll buy you new tapes. But yeah, that's that's one of those things where sometimes they just throw stuff out. When they moved WIBW from the old facility to the new, yeah, there were literal chunks of things, like an entire run of the Andy Griffith show on uh, one inch reel to reel. They just left it because 
it, well, first of all, it hadn't aged well. But second of all, what are you going to do with it? Exactly. You can't archive it. We're not going to keep it. It's all stuff that was just recorded somewhere. And I just, I kind of wonder if there are ghosts in that building watching Andy Griffith. It, it burned down. Ernest Bass. All right, so this is probably a little bit uh, more on the nerdy tech side for most of our listeners. Hopefully we didn't bore you too much, but technology has really changed. Oh, I'm sure we did. That's fine. No, we totally did. Yeah, I'm bored and I'm here. (laughs) Well, you're always bored, Matthew, so. Shut up. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, but I think it's a good discussion to be thinking about technology and how it's changed and how it's affected how we're able to do things and ultimately what Zach's going to do with with uh, the is, what are you going to do with you has, uh, at his at his disposal? Yep. So All Zach's right. going to go into a sewer and pile let's, sewage on let's his just head. finish it up there for this week. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this new episode of Zach on Film. Make sure to head over to majorspoilers.com where you can find that podcast listing page and give any comments you have on the film technology and how it's progressed over the years and give your thoughts and ideas about that. But while you're there, make sure to click on that Amazon.com link on the front of the page. It'll take you right to Amazon, where you can buy all of your gear needs from uh, sliders and jibs to cameras and lenses. No extra cost to you, but a little bit will come back back to us here at Major Spoilers to keep all this podcast content coming towards you. Next week, we're back to films. We're talking Blade Runner next week on Zach on Film. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Summer camp is a magic place where kids discover who they are because they have the freedom to explore on their own. Why Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is a sleepaway camp in the heart of Idaho's wilderness. Each summer, campers make friends, build new skills, and learn to love the outdoors through activities like canoeing, archery, zip lining, rock climbing, campfires, and more. Registration for Why Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is open. Financial assistance is available. Learn more at whycampidaho.org.